Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 380. You know, the reality is that the modernist food movement is about asking questions, right? And it's about answering those questions and fostering the environment where it's okay to ask those questions. And then once you have the conclusion to those questions, you share it. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to pos.toastab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. Have you heard of Watsi, aka the Work Opportunity Tax Credit? Well, Hire Me is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers, and it can hook you up with some Watsi. To learn more, head over to restaurantunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H I G H E R M E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsi services for a limited time, you will get three free months with their featured hiring software. Get on it. All right. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Ian Bodwin. Chef Ian, are you feeling unstoppable today, my man? I always feel unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So who hooked me up with Brooks Tanner? Special shout out again. Brooks Tanner, I'm telling you, this guy just hooked it up. Uh, wouldn't oh, have gotten... Brooks. Reading your story, I know it's going to be good. So originating from Northern Virginia, Chef Ian Bowden got his start at the early age of 13 working in a local French restaurant. He would continue his culinary education at the New England Culinary Institute in Vermont before making his way back to New York City or just to New York City, where he stayed until 2007. Uh, back in his home state, Ian made a go at a number of ventures, earning a national acclaim and two James Beard nominations for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic in the process. In 2013, Bowden opened his community-focused casual dining restaurant, The Shack, and has been crushing it ever since. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface, painting a big picture. I can't wait to dive into your story. But before we do, Chef... We got to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success corner mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, I say do things for the right reasons with intent. All right. Do things for the right reason with intent. Uh, Dive into that. Why that resonates with you. Uh, you know, coming up in this industry, I did a lot of things for, well, I, I guess opening, opening my first place in, in a couple of restaurants that I ran previously, I did, I did it for the wrong reasons. I did it, uh, to make other people happy. Um, I did it to uh, garner attention for myself. I did it for ego. Um, and I don't think that I really became successful, uh, in, 
you know, forget, forget financial. I, I didn't come become successful as a chef until I started doing things for the right reasons. And the right reasons were for myself, for my family and for my community. Oh, I love it, man. I love you know, it. Beautiful. I can't wait to dive into more of these nuggets. But uh, where did it all start for you, man? Like when when did you know that this was going to be your career? So my my story isn't isn't a lot is not a lot like a lot. Shit, I can't even speak today. <laughs> my story is not um, like a lot of other chefs in that you know I didn't grow up at my my grandmother's apron strings cooking you know rolling pasta by hand and all that shit. Uh, that wasn't me. Um, I grew up as a latchkey kid in suburban Virginia. Um, you know, um, the food was always important in our family and like the most exciting time in my family uh, were, was surrounded by holidays when like my grandparents would come down from New York and bring like smoked whitefish and whitefish salad and bagels and lox and all that good shit um, that we couldn't get in Northern Virginia at the time. Um, so like, you know, food was a big focal point in our family. Um, and we always ate well. Um, but I didn't come up cooking per se. I mean, excitement happened in the kitchen and it was always surrounded by the kitchen, but that's not, uh, what really pushed me into the restaurant industry. Um, what happened basically was, uh, my parents went to this new restaurant, uh, around the corner from our house. Um, you know, they didn't have a menu. The chef came out and talked to them cause they had just opened and they were like, Hey, our young son, maybe he might be interested in cooking. Is it cool if he comes and hangs out, you know, on a slow night just to kind of see what, what it's about. Um, and he said, no, he said, if he's going to come in, he's got to come in on the busiest night of the week. So have him come on Saturday and we'll sit him in the corner and we'll see what happens. Mm. And I never looked back. Um, I went in that weekend, I sat in the corner and they couldn't get me out of the kitchen. Um, and you know, the rest is kind of history. Miss for me, I feel like that's what it's all about. And I feel like the chef, this, this, this French chef knew that it's about the community. It's about the next generation. If somebody shows an interest, it's we're almost, there's an obligation for us to pass what we've learned onto the next generation. I feel like he got that. You know, that's it's old. It's a very old school European mentality. It, it, you know, nowadays we're worried about press and we're worried about, you know, what they think of me and what they think of my restaurant and what I've done. And the old school mentality is the exact opposite of that. It's not about what I accomplished. It's what I can help the next generation accomplish. Mm-hmm. That's how really I judge my success. I mean, I look at cooks that have worked for me, you know, and I've got one guy that's opened up in town here who's got a really successful taqueria, you know, um, and he's fucking killing it. Um, He's busy all the time and he's doing a great job. You know, I've got Brooks, you know, who worked for me for a very short period of time, but I think we had a big uh, influence on each other. You know, he made me look on the analytical side of the restaurant, you know, and I made him look at the critical at, at, the, at the creative side of the restaurant. So, I, I, you know, it, it's all this give and take and this mentorship. And, and I think it goes both ways as well. I don't think it's just, you know, the, the boss mentoring the staff. I think it, that you can learn so much from your staff and from where they came from and what they've experienced. And and uh, I think we're in a time now in this industry where, where I'm allowed to learn from my cooks whereas before it was like i've got to be the fucking boss (laughs) yeah absolutely and just making that culture where people can feel uh open enough to share thoughts with you where where they feel like that they can contribute this does so much and man there's so uh people it's fostering fostering the right kind of environment Mm -hmm. i mean so not to tangent too much because i have a tendency to do that (laughs) me too man it's gonna be a tough one so one, one of the, you know, one of the things that's so cool about the modernist food movement. Okay. So most people, when you say modernist food, they think fucking foams and sous vide everything and all these crazy fucking techniques. And the reality is, this is, I was talking to my cook about this earlier today. You know, the reality is that the modernist food movement is about asking questions, mm. right? And it's about answering those questions and fostering the environment where it's okay to ask those questions. And then once you have the conclusion to those questions, you share it. Um, and that's, 
that's what this is about. It's not about fucking foraging, you know, because that's nothing new. You know, it's not about fermentation. You know, it's not about doing everything from scratch. That's how people have cooked forever. It, it's really about fostering an environment where you're allowed to ask why and how. And then once you find out, you share it with everybody for the yes. betterment community yes know, and, oh and man <laughs> chef you're singing to me right now i love your attitude and i take that same approach with that that's why this podcast exists like beyond the food though the business mentality the culture how to treat other people just the the just the things we know to be true about working with others and what these successful people know about their success uh and sharing that knowledge that's it's all about sharing not just food knowledge but business knowledge and i'm totally on board with everything you're saying um so okay 13 years old uh you get your feet wet working at this French restaurant, you decide at this moment that it's for you. You didn't really tell us why, like why was it uh, it so clear right. to you? What's that? It, it, it just felt right. Mm. I, I, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint it for you. I mean, it, you know, I, so I, I grew up, I have, I have uh, several learning disabilities. I'm a very uh, uh, visual learner. And in order, in order for me to really, to, to encompass something, I can't just read it in a book. I've got to do it. I've got to experience it. And I, I'm sure that that, that visceral reality had a lot to do with my, my me getting inducted into the kitchen, you know? Um, yeah. Are you I, dyslexic? I, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, okay. well, I, I'm probably mildly dyslexic. Well, I am too. You know, I think it's, it's a common trait in a lot of chefs. I know Jamie Bissonette is dyslexic and he's yeah. crushing it. Uh, man, there's a, a sommelier uh, Weston. Oh, I mean, he was on the show. His name's escaping, but I feel like this is a, a field, an industry where people can really excel with those, because uh, it's, 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 it's so, so hand on. Well, yeah, but when, when I when I was coming up, it was an industry of fuck ups. I mean, let, let's <laughs> be fucking blunt, yeah, right? So, like all the punk rock kids, all the hardcore kids, all the skater kids, all the fucking drug addicts, all of us were in the kitchen because it was somewhere where we could get some kind of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, I don't mean like kitchen, kitchen confidential. I came after, you know, I wasn't in the kitchen in the 80s. I was in the kitchen in the early 90s, right? And and so it was this. It was this era, era where it was time to take the kitchen seriously. So it wasn't like in the 80s when everyone was fucking doing lines in the, in, in the bathroom, right? Everyone was serious about what they do. But but there was – it's the same reason people got into fucking being a skinhead. And I don't mean neo-Nazi skinheads. I just mean skinheads. Like it's a group of people that find acceptance within themselves. It's a gang mentality. And we had the same thing in the kitchen. You know, um, and, and – and then, so you, you get accepted into it, you know, and you get indoctrinated into it and it yeah. takes all kinds and it doesn't matter if you don't spell well. I mean, like my fucking friends and guests and people who follow me on social media crack on me constantly. <laughs> fucking spell. My stepson makes fun of me because I can't spell, right? But you know, one of the reasons why I, I think I'm so drawn to this industry, we're talking about the people. Yeah, there it's an industry of a bunch of misfits, but at the same time, it's an industry of a bunch of people who are so transparent and genuine and real. And that is like, you know, you, you know take me as I am or go fuck yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and totally. I, I respect that. And, um, Anyway, I, we need we need to bring it back. Anyway, to back, the, back on topic. Yeah, we're, this is going to be a tough one. We're going to keep we got to keep on to, on, each, on each other today. But okay, so you went oh. to the Culinary Institute. Uh, you find yourself in New York. Uh, I mean, what are the biggest lessons you're learning? I mean, you have a lot of stuff going on in your career, and I want to make sure we leave time for like some of the more present things that are going on. So, in that experience, New York, what are some of the biggest you know lessons, uh, things you did to set yourself up for success up to this well, point? I mean, you know, to, to be honest, like, you know, my whole family's from New York. I, w- I was the only one born in Virginia. Um, and, and, uh, so I always envisioned myself being in New York. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, are you going to New York? It's when are you going to New York? Right. Um, you know, I, I think I took 
cooking seriously in New York uh, before I got to New York, but I didn't really know what cooking was until I got to the city. Um, you know, my, my eyes, my eyes were wide open. I mean, I tell people my, so my first job was at uh, Payard Patisserie and Bistro. So Francois Payard was Danielle Blue's pastry chef. Um, his, the, the executive chef was Philippe Bertino, who's probably one of the most underrated chefs in New York city still to this day. Um, you know, he was Danielle's, uh, uh, sous chef for, for years and years and years. And they left to open up Payard. And, you know, I tell everybody my first days there were like, uh, the watching a TV show in the ER, you know, where all you see is like trails and people flying by and buzzing by uh, that. That's how it felt. Um, I, I felt so completely out of my element. Um, so all I did was put my head down and work. Um, and, and I think the reason that I made it in New York and I got to where I got while I was in the city is, is because I was too stupid to, to be scared or to be intimidated. I just, from <laughs> hell or high water, I was going to make this happen. That's um, awesome. That is. So one of the biggest lessons I've learned on the show is the power of surrounding yourself with other passionate, skilled, motivated people. Would you say that was the case with you making your way out to New York, New York City? What was the name of the restaurant? I'm sorry. I'm not the first, the first job was at, at Payard. Payard. So no, I was there not knowing anybody. Yeah. Um, I had family there that I didn't really know. Um, I slept on a cousin's couch for my first six months. Um, no, I was pretty much alone there. Um, but which was better that way because, you know, we were working 80 hours a week, mm-hmm. you know, six days a week. And the one day off we had, you just slap. Um, so, so absor- observing some of these great chefs and restaurant tours, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned coming up that you applied in your own career? Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I can, I, without naming names, I can, I can say that I, I learned what not to do. Um, you know, like I said, I came up on this cusp of, of keeping things close to chest, you know, close, uh, keeping things close to your chest and, and this era of sharing, um, you know, what was expected as a chef in the early nineties in New York city was you work your ass off and everything, uh, revolves around the restaurant and your job and your personal life and your health and all of those things are inconsequential um, and they shouldn't affect what happens in the kitchen. Um, you know, come hell or high water, you're at work. Yep. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't yeah. leave in the middle of service. It doesn't matter if somebody dies and you, you know, a family member is dead and you have to go out of town for a funeral. It, you don't, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, that's the mentality that it was in New York or most of, most of the industry, I'd say in, in the early mid nineties. Um, you know, and now we're, we're in a very different place where we're allowed to, you know, be down, you know, if something happens to a family member, I tell my cooks to go the fuck home. <laughs> I'll deal with the consequences. You know, um, it's just, a, it's just very different now, man. So you've learned that, you know, emotional care is a real thing. Uh, you know, Work-life balance, assembly of work-life balance is a real thing. That was a big lesson. Yes. I, I, I preach it a lot uh, mm. as far as how I deal with myself. I, I, you know, I still fight it. My, my wife still beats me up about it on a daily basis. All right. What else did you learn not to do? Um, I, that's really the thing. Treating people properly, um, you know, I mean, dressing people down, you know, it's not that I haven't yelled at my fair amount of cooks over my career. Um, but one of the things for me was always making sure it wasn't personal. Mm. Um, you know, you know, you deal with the incident, you don't deal with the person, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yes. I was just talking to on the show yesterday, uh, Jenny, uh, her Peterson, you might know her. She's, she's a Charlottesville, uh, paradox pastry. Oh yeah. No, I know. Yeah. And she was saying correct process is not people. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's, it's, it, you know, 
I, I can't tell you t- how many times I was called a dumb fucking asshole or, in the <laughs> or how many times I got smacked or, you know, pushed or, you know, my plots thrown on the fucking floor yeah. or plate thrown at me, you know, I mean, all that shit happened all the time. Um, you know, and that wasn't the right way to correct. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta show people the right way. You know, you have to give everybody the tools to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm not succeeding, 90% of the time it's your fault, not mm-hmm. mine. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's not the buck that's you know as they don't teach you how to manage you know nobody teaches you how to manage you have to figure it out for yourself you know so if i'm not giving you something you need in my kitchen that's not on you that's on me Mm -hmm. no and it's one of those things that i voice to my staff very regularly it's like you know something's not happening am i not communicating this properly to you do i need to show you how to do this again you know and if you keep on fucking it up and i've shown it to you properly several times then it's on you Awesome. You know, but, but I, I need to make sure I give you the tools and that's not something that ever happened in my career ever. Yeah. You know, it, it's that is, what you're saying right now, what's coming out of your mouth is such a common characteristic of successful people. They never blame. They always take responsibility. And you hear all the time people in the industry saying, Oh, like the, you, there's no good people out there. Or you can't trust anybody. And the people that say this are usually the ones that are, are struggling the most because they aren't willing to teach. They aren't willing to transform any of these young people into professionals and they don't take account ability for it. I, I, I agree with all of that. There's some gray area though. Like, I mean, for us, I, I've been searching. Oh, there's definitely time. a struggle right now, but yeah, I'm dying for staff. I'm literally dying. for staff. <laughs> I mean, if you follow me on Instagram every week, I try to come up with some fucking witty way to say I need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just posted one right before we started this, you know, Man. Um, maybe you know, we can dive into that later, but, um, yeah. Sorry. No, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's a great topic. I just want to make sure we cover uh, your early career. So is there anything you want to discuss before moving on? Because I feel like you have a lot of great lessons to share from your experiences after your time in New York, trying to open your first restaurant, things not working, going to work for other people, things not necessarily working there. But now things seem to really be working. And I want to know what you learned from those experiences. I think New York, one of the biggest things I learned was perspective. And part of that perspective came when I was like, fuck the kitchen. Mm. Um, I, I got out for two years. Two years, I stopped cooking. Um, what I year ran, was that? 2005? Uh, yeah, around there. Okay. Around, uh, two, I was 21 or 22. So I don't know. So, I can't do math. In my head, like, <laughs> why, why F the kitchen? What was going on? There was a lot of things you didn't agree with that was happening in New York so, at this time, right? Uh, one of the chefs I worked with um, was in his, I think he was 29, 30 years old. Um, he was in horrible physical health. Um, he was working himself literally to death. Um, he wore a back brace and all kinds of other braces every day to work. Um, it, it looked like he was in pain every time he lifted his knife. Um, and I kept on looking at this guy going, this guy is mad talented. He is uh, he's a great guy. Um, he's fucking miserable. Mm. Um, and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. Um, and I worked one other job after that and, um, I got into an altercation with my chef and he yelled at me. And for the first time in my life, I yelled back, um, which is not something ever, ever, ever done. Um, Dive into that. How'd that go down? Uh, not well. Um, (laughs) actually, well, I guess it went better than it should have. Um, he was so, so shocked that I yelled back that he kind of like, was like, uh, and turned around and walked away. Um, and then I gave notice right after that. Um, and when I gave two weeks notice, he asked me if I'd stay for six and I said, yes. Um, and then I left after that and 
Um, from there, I like I, my, my family's all in real estate. My parents are both in real estate, so I went and did real estate in New York for a little while. Uh, I waited tables, I attended bar, I ran a bar, um, and I got really bored. And I read a book called Waiting. Um, it's about uh, a woman who's in the restaurant business. It's her biography. I, I don't know if that was that was the working title. I had a friend who worked at a bookstore, and she got all the the pre releases. So, um, yeah, but it was about a woman who, uh, who, who worked in the restaurant business and it made me very nostalgic for, for that kind of environment again. And I started sending out resumes and I started getting a lot of responses and I ended up back in the kitchen. Get specific. What was it? What nostalgia was going on? What was it specifically that you were it's missing? The man. It's, the, it's the energy of the kitchen. It's the camaraderie. It's the constant motion. Um, everything that you do right now matters right now. Um, you know, there's, you know, uh, the, the, the push, the crunch, the, you know, all, all the adrenaline junkie bullshit. Um, it's all, real. um, and, and it, and it totally drove me back in. But what, what I took away, I thought for years that I had wasted two years of my life running bars and doing real estate and running front of the house and doing all that shit. Um, until I went to open my first restaurant. Um, when I went to open my first restaurant, I was like, holy shit, I know how to negotiate a lease now. Yeah. Holy shit, I know how to set up a bar wow, I know what to expect and how to hire a front-of-the-house manager because I've waited tables and I know what it's like to be a waiter in a restaurant. Man, like, you're bringing up a huge point that we need to dive into. Just actually got off the phone this morning with our friend Brooks Tanner and he was talking about uh, how he thinks there needs to be a discussion around knowing everything that's going on. If you want to open a business, it's not enough to get that experience back of house. You really need to get out of the back of house, yeah. learn the front of house, learn everything else the accounting that goes along with it like negotiating a lease all these things get the big picture they don't teach you any of that shit in culinary school you don't learn any of that shit in the restaurant business the only way you fucking learn this is by doing it absolutely i I, I sank my first restaurant i opened it when i was i opened up in 07 um i was uh 26 years old 26 years old and i fucking failed I, I succeeded on many, many levels. Financially was not fucking one of them. Yeah, but dive into that though. I mean, th- that's a good point you make because I feel like we look at not keeping the doors open as a failure, but what, a failure what did you take away from it? Everything. I got, I got a huge education. I got, I got my fucking, you know, my Cornell education by failing. Uh, (laughs) um, it cost me less than cornell probably (laughs) sorry bro so so let's dive into that though because i feel like the 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 restaurant we're talking about is the grocery that you opened in 2007 and you had that for four years so i mean in five years so that's i mean that's you were doing something right to keep your doors open for five years and there must have been some good things going on I controlled, I controlled the closing. Um, it was really important to me that I, I messaged the closing that I didn't have, uh, I didn't let the, the people in the area uh, tell me why my restaurant failed. I wanted to show them why we were closing the doors. Okay, so uh, let's start with the good things. What do you think you did right? What was right about that operation before we dive into why you... you can I be it? honest? <laughs> yeah, please. That's what this is all about. Not a lot. Okay, a, so what I, was I, wrong? Uh, everything. Um, I, I was I was inexperienced, immature, um, uh uh, I had a big ego. Um, I was just, uh, what yeah. Were your biggest it, challenges. I mean, you're, 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 I mean, how did you know that? I mean, what was happening in the moment that made you eventually realize that your ego, that you're immature, like what, what actual mistakes were you making? 
Well, and I, well, alienation, man. I alienated the base of clientele in this town. I, I went, I came to Stanton. Stanton, Virginia is a, a tiny town in the Shenandoah Valley, right in the foothills of Appalachia, right? Where, where, where 24,000 is the population here. It's a small town. Um, and it's a pretty tight knit community and it's kind of split into two, the, the people that are from here, um, and the people that are not from here. Um, and you know, there's certain things and, you know, you have to be sensitive to, to endear yourself to everybody in this community. Um, one of them is showing them that, that you're not here to exploit the town. You're here to be a part of the community and support the community. Uh, now I did that financially most definitely, but I did not do that with my attitude. Um, I came in like a fucking bull, um, you know, big head from New York city. Um, you know, there wasn't much happening food wise in this town. And I kind of was a little too verbose about that. Um, you know, I, I pissed a lot of people off. Um, yeah, specific. I, How'd you piss people off? I, just my attitude, man. Just in, in general sense. I, the restaurant was pretentious. I moved to Stanton saying I'm going to open a really great restaurant with great food and super non-pretentious, very casual, easy, easy, easy for anybody to approach. And I did the exact opposite of that. I opened up a restaurant that was pretentious as fuck, you know, that, that excluded and alienated the, the, the clientele here. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I, uh, shortchanged them, man. I, I, I second guessed them. Um, you know, they, they're, they're a lot more sophisticated and intelligent than I gave them credit for. And, it, you know, in, on a world scale, that's something that happens constantly where we're, you know, the city folk are always looking down on the country folk. And, you know, just because you're from a small town, you know, just because you live in rural Virginia does not mean you're a fucking idiot. Yes. You know? So you went on four years alienating and being pretentious yeah. and you're able to. I, I did. I figured it out. I figured it out, but it took me three years to figure out. And by the time I turned the restaurant around, I mean, the last year and a half, that the last two years that the restaurant was open, we were fucking doing bang up business. It was our best two years by far. Um, but at that point I had dug such a hole. Uh, what, kind of financial, what do you mean? Your reputation financial? financial? What was it? Financial, um, you know, I, you know, there was enough support locally that we were, we were doing okay. Um, but you know, I dug such a hole that the only way to really, um, rebound that restaurant was to a large cash infusion. Okay. Uh, Let's dive into this a little bit further. So where was the money going? How, what were you doing wrong? Okay. Payroll was a labor expenses were labor, labor was super high. My food costs, I've always been pretty tight on my food costs. So food costs wasn't a big issue. Um, you know, um, one of the things in this area, things move slower here, right? So one of the things, uh, when you make changes, you have to give them ample time to take effect. Like in New York, you make a change and you know, within six weeks, if it's going to work, if it's mm-hmm. not going to work you can ditch it. Um, you know, here it takes, you know, three to six months for a change to really make what are you, it. To- what are you tracking when you make these changes? How do you know if it's working or not? Well, so that was one of my other issues. I didn't really understand the finances of the business very well. I like, you know, if you asked me what my P&L looked like, I'd be able to give you some vague, you know, semblance of what my P&L was. But I couldn't really, I, I didn't really understand it. Okay. Uh, Thank I, you for I being numbers. honest. Yeah, I saw numbers and I kind of had some kind of correlation to the numbers and could kind of symbol it, make some kind of semblance. But other than food costs and labor costs, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Um, you know, now, you know, now I'm... I'm anal retentive about it, man. I look at my numbers every day. I, I do P&L statements every week. You know, yeah. I, We're going like, to get to the now. We're going to get to the present day. I want to dive into that. I'm going to make a note to talk about what you're doing differently with finances now. But let's go back to um, any other lessons or experiences or things you took out of this failure with the grocery um, that you want to you drop on us now. 
Um, you know, not off the top, man. I mean, it, it, it was, it was really just a, it was, it was a, it was a shift in my personality. Um, it was, I mean, it's, it's part of the maturing process. What happened you know? for like, you to shift? Is there, was there one event, one specific thing that you can reflect no, on and go, was there an aha moment? No, not really. I mean, I think it was just a, well, honestly, I guess the, the aha moment was really closing the doors, realizing that we were done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I started to make adjustments, but I mean, you know, and when we talk about it later, you'll see that the shack now is the antithesis of what the grocery was. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, the hardest part for me now is that I'm still dealing with a lot of the preconceived notions people have about me from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, like even though it was 10 years ago and I was, it's more than 10 years ago now, I'm, 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 I'm 39 now. I was, you know, 26, 27 when we opened the grocery, right? So it's more than 10 years ago. People still think that I'm that same fucking kid. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like I've grown, I've matured. I I have a family. I've got a, you know, I've I've gone through. Yeah, man. Reputation is something that's so undervalued. And so like, especially with younger people, I mean, your reputation follows you, your name follows you no matter where you go. And town like this, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's even more pervasive, man. It, I, you know, my wife deals with it for me still. Like she, my wife has a hair salon in town and, and you know, she'll be talking to a client that she went to high school with and she'd be like, have you gone into the shack yet? And they're like, nah, that place is fancy. And she's like, <laughs> it's called the fucking shack. Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's talk about the next stage of your life. You close 2011, you take a job, uh, just for a paycheck, right? Yep. Um, so basically, uh, um, it's a, there's a restaurant group in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is about 45 minutes away, um, that I took a job at, um, to pay the bills, man. Uh, you know, they made a lot of promises and I didn't really buy it, but you know, they wanted to open a restaurant with me. They wanted, or they wanted me to revamp and rebuild this restaurant that they've had. I think it was the oldest one that they'd been running, you know, and, uh, they, they, you know, they made a lot of promises, uh, as people normally do when they're trying to hire somebody. Um, um, and you know, they, they didn't come through on, on majority of it. Some of it was the clientele. They didn't want the change. Some of it was the ownership didn't want to invest the money. Um, you know, so, um, so what would you say, uh, was the biggest issue going on in this? Was there an, an unalignment? Is it apathy, like maybe apathy? Nobody gave a shit. Uh, the wait staff was making enough money, so they didn't care. Uh, they changed the fucking manager every fucking two weeks. Um, the only person who gave a shit, uh, other than myself until I stopped giving a shit, uh, was the bar manager who now actually he's, he's somebody that you should talk to at some point. Um, uh, he's, he just published his first, uh, book. Don't be afraid um, to name drop, man. Uh, Micah, Micah, Micah Lamone. Micah, um, Micah, I'm coming after you, Micah. He's, he's the beverage director at um, uh, Alley Light in Charlottesville, um, and he just—I can't remember the name of the title of his book, but his, his, I just got the invite for the for the release date That's party. Awesome. Um, but he's a bad motherfucker. Um, <laughs> Sweet. But, so he was—he uh, used that opportunity um, probably the way I should have. Um, he was able to play and experiment because they weren't worried about budget so much, um, because the restaurant was making money. Um, and so he was able to push himself there. Um, whereas I was so stuck on trying to help bring everybody along. Like there's times in your career where you need to be selfish and there's times that you need to bring other people along. I think for my mental health, after dealing with the grocery and learning the lessons that I learned, I felt that I needed to take everybody with me. Whereas he was more of a Island in the restaurant and he could kind of push himself and get away with whatever he wanted to get away with and play with whatever you wanted to play with. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I don't mean that in a negative way at all. It's just the, you know, our approaches were, we were in different places in our career. Mm-hmm. I understand. Uh, so, uh, sounds like the big issues here were the, you know, people just not giving an F and there was apathy. Right, like you Mike, mentioned Mike, too much. No, dude, you're good. You're good. I honestly, I'm a chameleon and I tend to, okay. I tend to just do whatever, whoever you're I'm talking to my, my, my vulgarity. No, <laughs> you're not offending me. And if you're, you know, one thing I, I, when I first started this podcast, that was very important to me was that I wanted it to be authentic. I, whoever, sure. whatever, you know, you would, if I was sitting down having a beer with you right now, I'd want you yeah. to talk to me in the same way. So well, uh, that's honestly, I'd, talk, I'd talk to you the same way. If you were, a writer for the New York Times, the <laughs> yeah. James Beard House, or a guest in my dining room. I, I, it's one one of those things that comes along with with the the, the confidence, not ego, but confidence. Well, it's um, just transparency, man, and that and that's one of the reasons why I love people in this industry. They are who they are, like we mentioned. Take me or leave me, uh, and you know underneath it all the rough exterior for the most part people in this industry have the biggest hearts and I agree. Uh, it's beautiful. So okay, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's <laughs> dial it in. Uh, so. Uh, what did yes, I, I guess, it was apathy? Okay. So I guess, is there a lesson? Um, how do we get people on board? How do we get people to give a shit? How do we, how do we, how do we change that? Is there anything I mean, to start from the beginning? Like what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ultimately that restaurant closed and it, that's what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, the, the space was worn down. The staff didn't give a shit. The ownership didn't care because they were cashing a check and they ended up selling the restaurant closing it, which was the smartest thing they could have done. Are, are we talking first, about the glass house right now? Or the glass. No, house? No, okay. Blue, Okay. Cool. Yeah. Got you. So, um, you know, how do you get everybody on board, man? You try to, you try to be as enthusiastic and as authentic as you possibly can. And we always joke about it. You got to get everybody to fucking drink the Kool-Aid. If they don't drink the Kool-Aid, then they're not on board and you're not going to progress. Um, it, it's really important. Um, and you need to be as infectious as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, leadership and leading by example is the ultimate, um, yeah. as a chef in somebody else's restaurant, Sometimes it's really difficult to do that because mm. uh, the ownership needs to be on board too. Yep, absolutely. Um, if the ship isn't on board, then you can fucking pull whatever hair you have left out and it's not going to do shit. So there's some words that are coming to my mind when I hear you say drink the Kool-Aid uh, and getting people aligned. But what? Other than Jim Jones. What's that? Other than Jim Jones. Uh, yes. <laughs> so what, what do you mean by drink the Kool-Aid? How do you get people to drink the Kool-Aid? How do you put that Kool-Aid into a cup to make it go down easy? In, in, in corporate America, I mean, it's, it's a mission statement. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, I, I'm not that structured, um, much more cerebral. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's embodying what the restaurant is and, and making sure, um, the people that you hire are as excited and enthusiastic about what the restaurant is as you possibly can. Mm, yeah. um, so what, what, one of the, one of the things that I say a lot, um, and I'm sure anyone who's ever worked for me is sick of hearing it is that, you know, one of the, one of the things I look at as the restaurant is the restaurant's its own entity. Mm-hmm. And we are all, including myself, even though I pay the bills and it's mine and blah, 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 blah. I am just like they should be here to feed the beast, right? We're all trying to put our energy into this other entity and make it move forward. Well, that uh, other entity in itself is the mission is the core values is the vision of what you want to create. And that's the Kool-Aid and yeah. people, they think of like, Oh, like that's so woo woo. And it's, they, they yeah. you know, they make fun and like they drink the Kool-Aid like, Oh, but the truth is, I mean, you can create a, a mission, a vision, something that, can get people excited and it can, as long as it's, I think the trick is to make it authentic, to really care, not just to make up a saying or just to do it for the sake of going through the motions, but to do it 
and to really be behind what change you want to see in the world and how you can use this restaurant as a vehicle to make that change. Um, well, and, and as a chef, I mean, it's all by doing by example, leading by example. I mean, whether it's fucking scrubbing down the floors yep. at the end of the night with the guys, not that I do that every night still, uh, but <laughs> you know, like, you know, whatever it is, I mean, like, you know, I, I pick up after my cooks and it's not like, look, I'm picking up after you. It's like, Hey, look, it needs to get done. Let's mm-hmm. make sure we do it. You know, yeah. uh, you, you know, you, when, when it's time to cook, you cook your fucking ass off. It's yep. time to you prep your fucking ass off. I mean, and you do it precisely and you know, and you have to, you, you have to be in the trenches with your guys for you guys to have any respect for you. Wow. I, I remember way too many times, um, where I worked with chefs that, didn't cook with us ever. And when they did cook with us, it was like, it was sucked because they were in the kitchen every day. And, yeah. and that's fine. You know, not every chef needs to be in the kitchen every day, but they need some kind of leadership in the kitchen every mm-hmm. day. Right. Yep. So when, when you have a chef who's rusty, um, who's aging, um, jump on your station in the middle of service. Cause you're in the shit. It fucking sucks. Yeah. Like your station's a disaster. Dishes aren't the way they want them. You know what I mean? It's yep. just like, thing falls apart. Um, <laughs> okay. know, so. this, sorry. Do you want to keep going? No, 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 you're good. Okay. You're good. <laughs> All right. So w- let's dive into some of the lessons we learned. So you left this restaurant, you went to go open, you, you joined a few other people and you opened the glass. Is it house? 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 Yeah. house? Yeah. Is that how you say house? And house, house. house. <laughs> the glass house. And, you're in not the, the only kitchen. Do that. <laughs> um, so not, not my choice of name at all. I want to spend a little bit of time here because I feel like yeah. there's probably a lesson to come out of it. And then I want to talk about what you're doing differently today to make everything work better. So what would what, talk, take us through the glass house? Yeah. So I mean, basically the, the glass house happened because uh, someone who was a cook of mine at blue light uh, started working for this new restaurant group. Um, he put me in touch uh, with that restaurant group because they had a space that we used to be a nightclub and they wanted to turn it into a something else. And they weren't sure what that something else was. So I started talking to them. Um, we kind of had a rough agreement as, as to how things would work. And I left and we went and opened up glass house. Okay. Uh, that's the very condensed version. Okay. <laughs> so what, okay. On 16 other tangents. <laughs> so what did you, you just recently came across all these lessons at this point, you're compiling, you're compounding these mm-hmm. lessons. What, what did you do differently in opening the glass house? Intent, man. <laughs> it's intent. Um, we, we, the goal was to open up uh, a high-end restaurant that did uh, technically amazing food um, with a group of guys that I really just wanted to cook with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and for the first six months of that place, man, we were fucking unstoppable. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Wow, I just tied it back yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, man, I dig it. That place was, we were on fire, man. Um, everybody who worked with me when we opened, including Brooks, took a huge fucking pay cut to come work with me and do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talk about Kool-Aid, man. I didn't have to say what the Kool-Aid was because they all knew it. You li- uh, See, uh, that's the one time, like, there, there's a lot of importance in writing the, the culture down, the core values down, the vision down, getting that written down so you can commit to it. But then mm-hmm. it can be just as powerful if you live it every day. That's a lot more yeah. difficult because eventually you're going to burn out. You need to have these thoughts out in writing someplace, but you can have that Kool-Aid present by just with your actions and how you well, I mean, So, so I mean, that kitchen staff started with Mike Yeager, who is actually who introduced me to, to Brooks. Um, so Mike and me had worked together uh, with a friend, did a couple dinners um, at Barbersville Vineyard, which is a pretty prominent vineyard here in Virginia. Um, and so we knew each other, we knew of each other. He was ready for a change. He knew I was leaving. I was like, I'm going to open a restaurant. I want you to be a part of it. 
And so we started talking back and forth and then it turned into texting ideas back and forth all the time. And so we kind of developed that, that, that quote unquote corporate structure, um, without actually putting anything on paper. We both went in with the exact same mindset. Uh, we were partners in crime man. I mean, we, 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 we hammered out every inch of that menu. Um, and we hammered out every inch of that kitchen. I mean, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was honestly, it was one of the coolest cooking experiences I've ever had before in my life. Um, having some- a partner like that was just fucking awesome, man. Was- Brooks, if your, if your ego is not huge by the time I'm done interviewing everybody you connected me with, I don't know what else to do. Um, so for six months, you were unstoppable. What happened? How long for, first of all, what year did you, did you open this? When did you open? Shit. Um, I opened this in 14, 13, uh, 12 and the end of 2012, I think. So, and how long was it in business? Uh, a year and a couple months. Okay. So what happened at the six year point from going unstoppable to eventually you got stopped? What happened? Um, ownership. Okay. So what do you mean? Uh, Get get specific uh, without mentioning names or anything. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, they all know who they are, and I don't, I don't give a fuck, honestly. <laughs> That's why um, I love this conversation. I can ask, um, I know you're just going to spit it out. <laughs> so, so the main the main owner, I, I won't name him by name, but he, he knows who he fucking is, and he won't listen to this anyway, so it doesn't fucking matter. Um, and everybody in Charlottesville knows who he is, and they all know he's a fucking punk. Um, so he, uh, so we, we, we had a lot of agreements before we went into this, um, and uh, the bar was set really high. Uh, for us from the community and, you know, by me, um, and in turn by him. Um, and you know, in order for something like that to continue, uh, everyone needs to hold up their end of the bargain. Um, and he didn't as an owner. Um, you know, so you broke up, you said he didn't as an owner, as an owner. Yeah. He did not. What was the agreement? What were the agreements that you made prior going into this that he was supposed to do? Like there, there's certain truths I know in the restaurant business. Like if you start giving shift drinks to staff, everyone sits and hangs out at the bar and drinks all night long. Mm -hmm. I know that. Um, I know that once you allow one service staff member to have a drink when they get cut early in their uniform, that it's going to turn into every night, the whole staff, you know, it's all those little culture is reality. Culture is what's happening in that moment. If it's happening in that moment, that's your reality. That's your culture. We said we were no longer going to be a nightclub. We said we were no longer going to be a place where all the staff wanted to come and drink at Mm -hmm. the end of the We were going to be a place where no one's friends were allowed to hang out the bar and wait for them to get off work. Mm -hmm. All of those things happened, and they happened all night, every night, to the point where I'd come in in the morning and there'd be broken glass all over the floor of the restaurant. Shit like that. Like I'd go into the walk-in and the lobo foie gras that I just turned into at Torshan, you know, is gone because they got hungry and fucking ate it. You know, shit like that. It's like all the time. So this Uh, owner, it was, it sounds almost like this was more a social thing for the owner than not a business venture. You know, it's really confusing to me because the guy's got awesome pedigree. I mean, and, and honestly he knows how to fucking run shit. Mm -hmm. He does. Um, I don't know why he does the things he does or, or how he's gotten away with it for a long time, but the buck kind of stopped um, mm-hmm. after, after, after glass house. I mean, he, he hasn't been able to be very successful with any of his ventures. since. So what's the big lesson? What did you learn from this experience? What's a lesson you can extract and share with us from that? You know, I, mean, it's, I don't think it's a lesson that I, I don't think there's any lessons that I hadn't learned prior to be honest. I mean, you have to be a man of your word. Um, and if you're going to do something, you, you fucking do it. It's like I said, you know, it's intent. Did you have you an know, operations agreement? Intent. Yeah. You know, go forward with that intent. Yeah. And if things need to change, then you fucking adjust, but, but you can't throw it all out the window. You so know, you don't, he was a partner. He was in the business with you. What was I was, he? I was not, I was not a partner in the business. Oh, you weren't. I, 
Okay. I, I was supposed to get points, um, and, and their finances were so convoluted that there's no way that I would have ever gotten points, even if the restaurant ever got profitable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it sounds like, know, it, it sounds like there was a misalignment with what you wanted it to be and how you wanted to get there. Okay. No, it's, it's what I wanted it to be and what it actually was. And, and I was too stubborn to, to see the writing on the wall. And, and when I did, it was a very public thing, um, which really sucked. So what would you uh, have done differently if you were going into that situation again? To I have gone into it. Okay. Uh, not that I didn't get out, get things out. I mean, you know, we, we accomplished some awesome things and I made some great friends, you know, I mean, Mike and, and, and Brooks and, and, um, and Todd, Todd Grieger is another guy. Uh, he was the chef of another restaurant and he came to take a line cook position with me. You know, I mean, all these kids could cook, man. They just didn't know that they were ready to cook on that level until we spent some time together. Um, and now we're all doing cool shit. Awesome. Um, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. I mean, is, I'm glad we did it and we accomplished, I know mean, we got a review from the Washington post as a first restaurant in, in Charlottesville, Virginia to ever get a Washington post full star review. You know, I, that's where I got my first James Beard nomination. I mean, some cool shit happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I just got to take a moment here real quick, just to point out in all this and all the, the, the points of your life, your journey up to this point, I love your attitude and your ability to see the silver lining. And I think that, that optimism, that ability to go through life and to be buoyant, to bounce back up after you learn these hard lessons to bounce back up and to apply these newfound lessons to the next venture and to keep on going. And that's, I think how you become unstoppable is you go out I mean, you try, you fail, you bounce back and you do it better the next time. And the only reason I'm able to do it, honestly, at being completely blunt is because I'm never satisfied mm. ever, ever. I'm always like, you know, the first, the, 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 the Washington post review we got like for about, two hours, I was fucking over the moon. Mm -hmm. But after that, I was like, okay, well, what's next? Mm. Where we, where do we go now? And then I got to, (laughs) and I was really fucking excited about it for, for that one a little longer than the, the, the other review. But afterwards it's like, okay, well what's next? And, and I kind of have that approach with everything in my life is even, even when it's negative, you know, something's going to come out of it. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's try to, let's try to angle it to the right next. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I love it. So, okay. Um, we got to move on. Yeah. yeah. 45 minutes of recording time approximately. And we still got to talk about what you're doing differently with the shack and how you approach the situation And you know, what are the, what is it about the shack today? That's working compared to what you know, hasn't worked in the past. Uh, everything. <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, we got really lucky, uh, right when we opened and got some great press. Um, um, Financially, you know, this was supposed to be a temporary restaurant. So I really, I, I opened this restaurant for $20,000, $22,000. And I haven't put one single dime additional in, and we are going on four years. Our four year anniversary is in, uh, in January. Um, you know, um, I, I was stupid or smart. I don't know to save all my stuff from the stand grocery. Um, and I had it all in storage and I pulled it all out and me and my wife tore apart this shitty space and, you know, turned into the shack and in a couple weeks, um, and I rolled all my stuff in and we opened the doors. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's like lightning strikes only once, you know what I mean? Um, everything lined up perfectly for this to happen. How many people did you open with? How many people were on staff when you first opened? Um, one, two, three, four, four and a half, five people. Okay. Um, um, and what about the vision and then what was your vision when, I mean, for the shack, when, when's so the vision the, even come into frame for you? So the, the, 
so th- this is this is like an experimental restaurant gone really right and then having to backpedal to make sure everything's lined up uh, if that makes any sense wait say that one more time i don't think i, I picked it I said, this is this is like an, it's an experimental restaurant that went really right and then we had to backtrack and say shit we have a real restaurant we have to, we have to go back in and fill in all the gaps right okay. and it's something that i'm still dealing with now because I mean, we've turned we're a product of our own success we we had no clue that it was going to happen like this and now that it has we 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 have to adjust um and we're still adjusting uh it's it's, it's pretty challenging and i wish we did it slightly different but if I went into this place with a different mindset like, oh, it's going to be a raging success. We'd have what was your mindset? What were you trying to create? What, what, what was what the was supposed to be temporary? I mean, you know, I was doing pop-ups at my friend's restaurant, at my friend's bakery. Um, and I looked at the numbers that he was, tra- what he was charging me to do it. Um, and, and I'm very thankful that he gave me the opportunity, but, um, I was like, you know, I, I could probably afford, there was a shitty restaurant space that just closed down around the corner from my house. I was like, I could probably open up in there and just do pop-ups there and mm-hmm. do better financially. And that was and a check? That was a check. Okay. Uh, so um, were you just going to test ideas, test concepts? No, no. I was going to, so the idea initially was we we're going to do dinners, Fridays and Saturday nights, um, our prefix menu. Um, and then uh, my wife's like, well, at the grocery, everybody loved your burger. And at, at Glass House, actually, also, we used to do like uh, a burger night on Wednesday night. I'd, I'd bring in 20 burgers. And when they were gone, they were gone. Okay. Uh, so, you know, she's like, well, why don't you just do burgers at the shack on, or at the restaurant, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So give you something to do. And then while you're prepping and blah, 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 like, ah, sure. Fuck it. Why not? Mm-hmm. So we did. And, um, you know, the idea was that we were going to, uh, use this as a springboard into a full size restaurant space. We were going to have, you know, run it for, I, I signed, I think a six month lease, um, and we were going to run it until I got investors and uh, a full size space and had it built out. Uh, and so our third day in business, uh, the late Joshua Zersky came in. He was the food writer for Esquire magazine, um, and editor, food editor for Esquire right before he passed. Um, he came in our third day, our third service and, you know, just fucking blew us up. Awesome. Uh, put us on the, like a man blog. And then he put us in, uh, we were runner up for best new restaurant. Was that the, the manual? Huh? The, the manual? No, 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 There's, oh. no, um, so the Esquire does their annual food issue. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And so all of this was in that. Um, oh, the, the manual. No, that, that's a that's a that's a different blog. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know where they came from. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to see if we can't pull out. Um, I mean, there's some definite things I'm picking up on before I yeah. regurgitate and see if I can't summarize what I learned from yeah. your story. What about the culture? What about the vision? What about what, what, what were you doing? I mean, you're talking about the food right now. You're talking about the financials, starting small, being lean. Um, but what about the way you made people feel? How are you before you, with uh, what was it? The grocery you said you made everybody feel it was pretentious. You alienated yeah. everybody. So how are you doing things differently to make people feel different? So, so per, first thing I did was I, I did some market research um, and I basically took a, like a 40 mile radius and figured out what three courses would cost at any restaurant, no matter how high end or low end uh, of a restaurant it was. I wanted to figure out what that baseline was. And that's how I decided our price point. Um, I wasn't worried about uh, food costs so much. I was more worried about, you know, offering a value. Um, second thing was uh, the atmosphere itself. And we're a 26 seat restaurant and it's literally a shitty little red brick building in the middle of a fucking parking lot. I mean, that's, that's literally what the space is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and then there's the name, the shack, which comes from my wife's family. Um, her grandmother, uh, grandma Tizzy is, was the matriarch of the family. And the shack is kind of an ode to her and my wife's family. It was my way of connecting to her family since mm-hmm. I know her grandmother. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she raised 
six kids in a shack in the middle of Swope. Uh, Swope is up uh, right in the foothills, um, about 30, 25 minutes away from where we are right now. Um, you know, so all of those things to me said, you know, approachable, casual, comfortable, you know, mismatched furniture, mismatched plates, all those things um, made it really approachable. Um, and that was my goal. I wanted to be, like I said earlier, the antithesis of what the grocery was. Um, I wanted to make sure that the hospitality was front and center and the food was front and center and everything else was just whatever. Um, What's I front wanted- and center hospitality look like to you? Uh, um, it's it, from the moment somebody walks through the door to the time they leave, I want them to feel comfortable and at ease. Mm. That that's, and that's the biggest thing for me. I, I want anybody who walks through the door to feel like they're comfortable. Um, there's a bunch of reviews, uh, peer reviews, uh, of the shack. And a lot of them say things to the fact, uh, things to the effect of, you know, felt like I was eating in my grandmother's basement or sitting in the family rec room or, you know, and, a lot of people would look that very negatively. I don't. Um, I, it's the most important thing to me in the world. Um, one of the one of the best examples of that is there's a very prominent prominent food writer um, who came in to eat dinner, and I spotted him in the dining room, and we're cooking and we're cooking, and they're done with their meal, and I watched him push his chair out and put his feet out and recline, and I was like, "Fuck nice. yeah, nice, <laughs> awesome." He's comfortable enough in my dining room to fucking kick his feet out and recline. Nice. Like we win, we win. And I knew that the article would be great. And it was, you know what I mean? It was like, um, that, that kind of sums it up for me. I, I want you to feel comfortable. This should not be a stuffy environment. This should yeah. not be pretentious. When you walk in the door, you should be feel welcome. Um, I, I actually leaned in as much as I do these days to someone who answered the phone the other day when, before they hung up, instead of saying, thank you, they said, you're welcome. Um, and it, it, it made me think of that movie Date Night, uh, <laughs> Steve Carell and uh, what's her name, the woman from Saturday Night Live, when they're going to this pretentious restaurant in New York City. And when the people answer the phone, instead of saying, thank you for calling so-and-so, they say the name of the restaurant and they say, you're welcome. <laughs> Before the, the first time you have to watch That's what it made me think of. And it made me really upset. I'm like, you know, this person obviously has not, does not understand exactly what we're after. Um, so let me take a second and talk to her and make sure she understands what we're after. Um, and, and now she's great. Awesome. You know what I mean? I love it. Um, so the other thing we mentioned earlier, you said you struggled with uh, the grocery due to finances. Uh, you weren't really watching the numbers. Um, so where did you learn the skills, the financial skills that you apply today? Like, or did uh, it, was it just through doing the other two restaurants? Yeah, it was, it was, it was literally just from fucking up at the grocery. Literally. Okay. Uh, so what did you do differently with opening uh, the shack from the beginning to set yourself up for financial success with the numbers? So I set, I set myself up um, a schedule um, and how I was going to deal with all the finances mm-hmm. before the first invoice was paid, before the first guest set, stepped foot in the restaurant. And how did uh, you set that schedule up? Um, I, very difficult for myself, honestly. I'm not you know, I'm really disciplined in the kitchen and that's pretty much it. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it was a challenge for me, but I mean, basically the deal is that we're closed on Tuesdays. Um, Tuesdays is now my paperwork day period. Mm-hmm. Um, come hell or high water. Um, if I'm out of town, then I have to do it on Sunday after service or I have to yeah. do it Saturday night, but it, it has to get done and there's no excuse not to do it. And I had to hold myself accountable. Yeah. Uh, Discipline yeah. is huge. And also the power of just blocking out time. And yeah. making sure that you, you know, getting into a, a habit, a routine, a ritual that all about the routine. routines are huge and they, yep. they're energy savers. Your, your brain works harder when you have to keep track of all the things you have to do. So if you create habits and rituals and routines, your brain doesn't have to work. You just go through the motions and everything it's, gets done. 
but you have to, you have to hold yourself accountable just like you account, hold everybody else on your team accountable. Yep. Uh, um, you know, there's no one to hold me accountable but myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife to some extent, definitely. I mean, my wife kicks my ass when I need it and, and she's a great balance in my life. Um, so I just want to summarize real quick. Yeah. Um, some of the big takeaways I've learned f- listening to your story, um, maybe making assumptions, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel yeah. like what, what made the shack successful, um, was the fact that you started with a, a minimal viable product. You started yeah. as lean as possible. Uh, $22,000 was all you had to put down Four employees. You said before with the, the previous restaurant, your biggest expense was labor. So now you only have four employees. You're keeping your, your cost down. Cash is king guys. If you can yep. keep cash heavy and keep your labor expenses and everything low, uh, and scale up that dream restaurant doesn't have to be, I have to say two other things, man. please, please. As far as finances goes. So two habits that, um, well, there's a couple habits that I've, that I've developed, uh, that have saved my ass. Uh, so when we talk about payroll and, and having that be an over overwhelming expense, one of the things, um, that I do is I swipe all the money. So I have more than one, I have an operations account, I have a savings account and I have a payroll account all for the restaurant. Right. And so every week when I run payroll, um, I swipe everything, including the taxes, into that payroll account. So I don't have to think about fucking payroll. Mm-hmm. It's done. I mean, then my accountant pays my payroll tax for me, right? Cool. So all that gets swiped, so it's not in my operations. What do you mean so, by that, swiped? I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I move all the, all the monies that are needed to pay the taxes and the payroll. It's, payroll taxes and the payroll itself are moved into a separate account. Mm-hmm. So so that. Then I have, I know what I need every week to operate the restaurant, right? So anything that I don't need to operate the restaurant that week gets taken out of that account, that operations account, and it gets moved into a savings account. Mm. And that savings account is for my taxes at the end of the year. So basically I've got three accounts and I move the money wherever it needs to go. I love it. Are you familiar with the book Profit First? No. Oh, I think you'd be really into that book. And that's kind of the, the... The uh, the lesson of that book is make sure you pay yourself first. Oh, Have yeah, that yeah. money to pay yourself first. And it's not because we're greedy. It's not because it's all about the money. It's because you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And you need to have that money coming in. And then whatever excess, whatever... Fl- if, you, if you stress every day about your personal finances, yep. how the fuck are you going to not stress about the finances of the restaurant? Exactly. How, are, how are you going to motivate a team? And how it's going to influence decisions. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you make decisions you make based off money decisions. and... Yeah, it's bad decision. Yes, exactly. Uh, so great stuff, man. We're already at an hour. We still okay. got to do a speed round, but I didn't want to stop you. Uh, before we do go to the speed round, you know, any big takeaways, any lessons you want to leave us, any summaries, anything you want to blow us away with right now? Go for it's, it. It's really it like intent. It's the intent and paying attention. Mm. Now you need to, you need, you need to pay attention to everything, be it why your dishwasher looks like he's about to burst into tears, you know, why your waitstaff member is running to the bathroom every five seconds, uh, why that guest is looking around the dining room. Like it, you have to pay attention to everything that happens in your business. Um, and that, that's from, you know, the front door, front of the house, the kitchen, what's going out the back door, keeping an eye on all your purveyors and watching your finances that so you have to pay attention. You is have it, to pay attention to everything. Is it safe to say you've transitioned from a point where you're working in your business now, whereas maybe you're working more on your business than in it? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. I'd have to think about that. Okay. Um, 
Yes and no. I mean, I, I think I still do both of those things. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fortunately and unfortunately I'm an integral part of this business as far as the day to day operations. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I, I, I do paperwork in the mornings and on Tuesdays and then I'm cooking in the kitchen every night, you know? So, so, so this um, is better time management. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that and I quit smoking and, okay. I, quit, and, and I was actually like, I'm only half joking wherein I, I've, I've, I smoked so many cigarettes every day that it made me so much less productive oh. and I am so much more productive. How much now. time does it take to smoke a cigarette? Uh, me, I ask Brooks next time you see him. I, 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 I could put away a cigarette in about a minute and a half. Okay, so uh-huh. even if it's let's say two minutes, let's round two up two minutes. Two packs a day. Two packs a day. How many cigarettes are in a pack? Twenty. Yeah. So 40, uh, 40, 80 40. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Eighty minutes a day. Eighty minutes a day. An hour, <laughs> almost an hour and a half a day lost. Yeah, just sitting outside. That's up. How many minutes? How many minutes a week is that? You know, seven times eight. Yeah. I got to count it. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing math. The two of us. Right. No math is bad. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Ever since episode number one, Restaurant Unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors and toast is at the top of that list. With Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, ELO, kitchen-grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via improved throughout, 3x increase in tips from digital signatures, and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received 101 million dollars worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away two million dollars worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with toast before the end of september or until supplies last to get your free hardware head over to pos.toasttab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes you need to use my links Whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your cost per hire. It's called WOTSI, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns. Hire Me is all about maximizing employer effort and Watsi is one great way to do just that. If you want to be guided through the Watsi process every step of the way, visit restaurantsunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsi services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef Ian, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic, something you believe most contributes to your success? I don't allow people to whistle in my kitchen. You don't let people whistle in your kitchen. <laughs> That's a pet peeve. Um, I have to do this in a, in a timely manner. Um, <laughs> can we skip it and come back? Sure. I'll see if you got to make sure I remember to come back to it. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness. Uh, I do too much. Um, I, I still have trouble delegating. Trouble delegating. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? 
for, I'm sorry, leading others, leading others, um, uh, respect, man, uh, respect for product, respect for others in the kitchen, respect for your environment. All right. Great respect. And what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview or during, yeah, during the interview process. Uh, part of it for me, a big part actually is eye contact. Uh, that shows confidence, uh, and intent. As I'm staring at my computer screen <laughs> and not making eye contact. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's a current challenge and how are you dealing with it? Uh, staff, man. I can't find any fucking staff. If you're looking for a job in a kitchen, call me. Okay. So why, why do you think that is? What, what, what's going on in our industry right now that there's such a shortage of people? What you ready for another whole podcast, man? Oh <laughs> man. Try to keep try to keep it brief. Uh, um, I, I think there's a lot of things that play into it. Um, uh, there's too many restaurants and the restaurants that are out there are too big, um, in general. Um, and I also think that there's a work ethic issue and accountability issue in, in, in the millennials. Mm. Um, I really do. Um, I, I, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I think people are scared of hard work and I think kids have it too easy. And what I mean by that is they don't have to try to get what they need. Um, with social media and internet and all those things that we didn't grow up with, um, they can get answers like this. They never go to the library and research something. Um, everything's at their fingertips. So when they actually have to work, uh, to accomplish something, um, I think they get discouraged and stop. Um, okay. So I, I think that's a big part of it. So that's a problem. What's the solution? Fuck. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Um, hopefully it gets better. I mean, hopefully people get used to the social media and, and the instant access to everything and um, get more curious. I'm not going to disagree with anything you said, but I will say this, that um, the people that we have, the people that come up in this world are a product of what we created. So instead of blaming millennials, I think at the same time, we need to take some accountability and be like, right. you know what? We you're a product of the world we created for you. And it's up to us to invest that time. Cause let's be honest, the world we live in today is very transactional and they're a byproduct of that transactional world that we created for them. And we need to to make it more transformable and and mentor and develop and train and give values. And that's on us. How do you, how do you mentor somebody that, that, uh, that doesn't have the attention span? You know, how do you, how do you teach somebody that, that, that um, on face value wants to learn and wants to absorb, um, but uh, but can't. You know yeah, that. Yeah. You know that like with the issue with the electronics and the phones, and I'm guilty of it, just like everybody else, man. Is that your attention constantly goes back to them, whether you want it to or not? It does. It's an addiction. So how do you break that long enough to get practical information into a kid? Like how do you do it? I, I don't know the answer. I don't know either, but. We'll we'll figure it out, man. We're gonna put the nose to the grind, try to find solutions. Um, you know, but it's weird because you always hear people say that uh, we somebody needs to do something about this. Somebody needs to do something about this, but we need to do something about it, and it's us. But all it takes is a kid to walk through the door. You know, if that kid walks through the door, like they're gonna ask for a job, and 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 I'm gonna say that I'd love for you to come hang out in my kitchen for a day and just see how it is. And mm-hmm. either they won't do it because they want to make money right now, or they do it and never come back because mm-hmm. it's intimidating. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I hear you, man. It's and, definitely a challenge, and I'm not. I don't want to under you know. I don't know. I guess I don't know the right words. I don't want to deep. I don't know. Underappreciate your challenge. I know it's no, real. No, it's a real no. struggle. 
But, well, it's a, it's a conversation. Yeah. You don't have to worry about uh, offending me. <laughs> I can take it. No, no, no. It's, it's a conversation. It's a conversation that needs to be continued. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can say, okay, well, we just give up. Like I said, like, oh. another episode. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's one thing besides food that your restaurant does well that separates you from other restaurants? I think our playlist is fucking awesome. Ooh, playlist. And, okay, I'm, dive I'm, into that. I'm, 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 I come from a family of musicians. Um, I, I used to, in New York, I played drums and some rock and roll bands and had some fun. Um, I love music and obsessive about it. Uh, my music taste is very varied and eclectic. Um, so I mean, we go from like, you know, fishbone to the clash to, to tribe called quest to Johnny cash to, you know, Otis Redding. I mean, we're like all over the board and what's cool about it is on a Saturday night when the restaurant's packed, um, you watch each song hit different parts of the dining room. It's kind of, it's kind of fun to watch. So what platform do you use? Is there a technology, a tool, or do you guys just have a great CD set collection? We do Spotify. Spotify. Is there, yeah. is it, is there like a business Spotify or, a? uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I swear to God, man, I feel like the world, everything happens for a reason. I literally just got an email yesterday from a woman named Tay who wrote me asking me to add, uh, their product to my email or my tools list. And I told her, I'm like, I only add things to that list unless somebody recommended it. Um, but she, it's called, hold on one second. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a Spotify platform, but it's for business. And I just kind of soundtrack your brand is a Spotify backed music streaming service for businesses. Okay. So I don't know. I'll write it down. Yeah. <laughs> Give a shout out there. Uh, but check that out. And it's so true. I mean, your brand is everything, everything visual sounds and yeah. uh, you know, everything you choose says something about your brand. So, all right. Yeah. The next question, I wasted enough time. The next question is what is one book that's a must read that will make us either a better person or a restaurant owner? Okay, so uh, I think this book does both, and I would not be surprised if I'm not the first person to mention this. Um, the Danny Myers book. <laughs> You're not the first person to mention. Yeah, this. but I mean, it's a great book, and um, yeah, I'm curious. I give it to every, every member of my staff at the grocery. What's your, what's the what's the biggest lesson for you biggest, that you got from lesson, this book? I, I think I think the, one of the best takeaways from that book is turn every negative experience into a regular guest. I really do. I mean, there's nothing like turning somebody's night around when they've had a a mediocre or shitty experience and you can flip that. It's, it's, it's yeah. fucking awesome. And the cool thing is it's in those moments where the shit does hit the fan that we have moments to shine. If you look at bad situations as opportunities, it's yep. like literally it's like, it's pivotal. It, it will yep. change everything because what you're willing to do, how far you're willing to go to make it right. will will make fans. We'll make lifelong fans. You're talking about branding. You know, I mean, that's that's something about your brand. Um, You're willing to do it. That's, that's hospitality, man. I mean, that's, that's taking care of your people. I think he calls it writing at the end of the story and you can write, you always have, no matter what happens. I need to go back and read Yeah. They're still in your, in, in your restaurant. The story isn't over. You can write the end of the story and you can change that experience and you can win people over and look at it as a challenge. It's, I mean, it's amazing what you can do if you just, make that memory. If you just look at it that way, it's so powerful. Yep. Thanks for mentioning Thank that. All right. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has you excited. That's either made you more effective, more improved communication efficiencies. Uh, um, we, you know, the, we don't have a lot of anything in our restaurant. I mean, we use an iPad for square. Um, okay. and, and that's, that's definitely streamlined businesses actually. And it, it, it makes accounting much easier as well. Um, you know, when you use traditional, 
swipe credit card systems. So they charge uh, everything on a tiered system and you can never predict what your, what your, what your costs are going to be on that end until you get the bill. And then you try to fucking match everything up from the last month and it's a fucking disaster. So square simplifies all of that. Um, I highly recommend it. Beautiful. Awesome. They don't pay me. So, (laughs) uh, and with all the knowledge you have today, if you could go back in time and give the past version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm one of those cats who needs to take their lumps. And every lump that I've taken over the years was 100% necessary. Um, maybe they lasted too long sometimes, um, but but I, I needed all of those negative experiences and some positive experiences to turn me into who I am. So okay. I, I no, no regrets. So if, if uh, an, a young and budding restaurant owner said, hey, I'm about to open my restaurant in three weeks, four weeks. What's one piece of advice you have for me? What would you say? Just stay on it, man. Keep showing stay on it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay. So is there anything we didn't get to discuss today? A topic or a question I could have asked that you think would have brought more value to today's conversation? I don't think so, man. I think uh, you're pretty, pretty fucking thorough. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. So, wow. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire, somebody you think we could all learn from and would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? There's, there's a handful, man. Uh, one, one of them, I'm horrible with the last names and all, all these people have weird last names. <laughs> um, Kendra, uh, Kendra Martin, I think is her last name. She's a restaurant operator in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, she has Laura Lee's. She has the Roosevelt. Uh, she has Impanema. She's a, she's a badass, uh, and she's got several successful restaurants and started like the way most of us do not knowing really anything. Um, she's a beast. Uh, also uh, my buddy, Kyle Lee McKnight, I, I got lots of love for him. He's, he's a chef, um, but he's also, uh, in hot sauce production. Um, he started his hot oh, sauce. Man, we get some retail advice. That'd be awesome. Um, he's, he's, he's awesome. Um, and the last one, and I'll leave you alone. Uh, Mark Jackserna, uh, he started a TV show called order. Uh, it's an internet TV show called order fire. Him and him and our buddy, uh, Pete, uh, started this internet TV show. Um, he's also the chef at Nan and Brian's in Charlotte, I believe. Um, but, but, uh, another great guy, um, and, and does really cool stuff. So Kendra, Kyle, Mark, look out guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you? If we want to follow you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, follow like whatever you're doing on social email, what's the best way to connect? Um, uh, emails are fine. Uh, the shack VA at gmail.com, uh, social media wise, it's, uh, Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's, uh, at chef IAB. Um, and then we have our Facebook page for the, the shack, um, the shack VA. Awesome. And, um, this is episode three, eight, zero head over to restaurants, unstoppable.com slash three, eight, zero. I'll have all the links right there in the show notes. And, uh, he's hiring. So if you're in the area, if you want a mentor, if you want to go to work, stay tuned. tuned. We're, we're, we're going into production with our barbecue, our sorghum based barbecue sauce and our sorghum based hot sauce. They'll be on the market hopefully in the next two months. And are you still opening a second restaurant? I read somewhere that you're collaborating. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, Oh, bummer. There's lots of opportunities and things on the table. And if I ever get fucking staff, um, Uh, you need, that's a good, that's a lesson in itself right there. You can't grow unless you have the people around you to do it. So that's our big issue. Yep. Awesome. Well, it's not awesome, but at least you recognize, man, 
all of this audio keeps playing. I'm so bad. Sorry, guys, if you could hear yeah. that. But <laughs> um, all right, that's it. Uh, this is awesome. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for letting me make an example of you for allowing us to learn from the, the lessons, the tough lessons you've had. Man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so Thank much, you. Ian. Thank you, man. <laughs> Cheers. Boom. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable in Bowdoin. Man, great energy. Uh, I hope you weren't too offended by some of the language used today, but I have a feeling that the majority of people who are in this industry have a pretty thick skin. I think we can handle it. And like I mentioned during the show, I just want you know, the authentic, real voice of my guests coming out. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel like we're sitting down having a beer, having a great conversation. And I think that's what happened today. So I hope the language was fine. Um, I think we will all agree that <laughs> it's just that's what we get when we try to get something that's real, true, genuine, and authentic. So uh, some of the big lessons for me today uh, worth extracting is just it's all about sharing knowledge. It's all about learning as much as you can and then sharing that knowledge with others, compounding this knowledge on top of of itself over time and just making it accessible for everyone. And that's how this industry is going to move forward is if we start learning about what we know to be true and we make that knowledge available to everybody so we can, as a whole, you know, they say, they say the all ships rise with the tide, right? So that's, I love that mentality. I really do. And uh, I love how chef really, address the issue with, uh, you know, if your people aren't doing it right, if they don't know how to do it, maybe they don't have the tools. Maybe, I mean, that's your job. If, if they're not doing it right, you're doing something wrong and showing them the right way. And if they keep on making the mistake, maybe they're just not cut out for this industry. But that initial response to people doing things wrong, you need to ask yourself, did I show them how to do this? Did, did I empower them? Did I give them the, the tools necessary to know how to do this? I love that. And, uh, I think there was another big lesson here in learning the whole business, not just the back of house or just the front of house, but really having a good picture of how it works. The the big picture, all of it. And like chef Ian said, you you've got to, you've got to be paying attention to everything. You've got to be on top of it. And a lot of that comes from, empowering other people so you don't have to do everything so you can spend more of your time monitoring and making sure everything's being met to standards instead of being the person that does everything to standards teach others how to do it monitor have your thumb on everything uh i love that and uh knowing your numbers guys you can't know your numbers well enough and he learned the hard way and that's that whole lesson too of just learning trying things figuring it out failing, taking those lessons, applying it to new ventures and just never stop. That's being unstoppable is, you know, you're not going to knock it out of the park every time, especially probably not the first or second time. But if you take those lessons, if you bounce back up, if you address your weaknesses and you evolve, you will eventually become unstoppable. Awesome stuff. And, uh, I think we talked about scaling today, the power of scaling, starting with a minimal viable product with as little overhead as possible. You don't want to get to the point where you have this beast of a restaurant that requires so much money to keep going. And it's just a concept. You don't even know if it's going to work. Start small, test your concepts, scale up, stay cash heavy. Cash is king. 
some of the just the few lessons that I pulled out of today's conversation. And like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Who do you admire? Who is killing it in your community? Who's something we could all who's somebody we could all learn from? Let me know. I'll get them on the show. Or maybe there's a, a topic or a specific challenge, uh, something that you're not quite sure how to handle. Uh, if you want to learn about a specific topic, let me know. I'll get an expert on the show. I'll keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. We're up to 101 reviews on iTunes, five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, man, so grateful if you had left a review. Those help so much. And um, I think that's it for today. I'm here to serve you guys. Please know that. Take advantage of it. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, Eric Catchatory, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. I think I've said everything. I'm tired. But it's going to keep showing up. Ain't nothing to it but to do it, right? All right. That's all for today, guys. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.